Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Footlock. We're very glad to be back and unfortunately we're so busy making content it can be hard to find time to make some extra content. But we're back here in the studio to talk about all the stuff we've been up to and more and I'm joined by my Footlock friend Mr. Henry Catchpole. Hello Footlock friend Chris Dunn. <laughs> we're all Footlock friends here. Um, first of all I think it's always worth mentioning that if you're watching this right now uh, you are most likely one of our biggest fans. You're probably already subscribed and you know what the show is and you've stuck with us this far and have actually been asking us why we've been away and why Footlock hasn't made an appearance and just the fact that you've done that at all uh, warms our hearts very much so thank you very much for being part of the channel and being part of our family um, there is now a new way you can engage with our content YouTube have just launched a new premieres feature which you may have seen in your notifications segment of uh, your YouTubes uh, where when we put out new films the first time it goes live the moment it goes live everyone watches it at the same time or has the opportunity to and there's a live chat there where one of us will be live in the chat talking to you could either be myself or Henry or both or multiple members of the team uh, there to answer your questions about the film and it's only open for a short window of time uh, so we encourage you if you are a Carfection super fan to look out for those notifications and join in wherever you can and of course join us on Instagram at Carfection Films on Twitter at Carfection and look for us on Facebook I'm rattling through it as quickly as I can because we've got <laughs> we've got a huge amount to go into we're going to compress the news down a little bit compress the motorsport a bit down a little bit because we've got so much stuff so many films that we've made to talk about so the news uh you're watching this most likely on a Saturday um which means yesterday was a Friday which meant the embargo lifted on the McLaren Speedtail Yes. Which is uh, the... Well, would you like to tell the people... No, what? you tell me about it. Well, I haven't actually read, read anything about it. So, so the McLaren Speedtail is the latest in the Ultimate series from McLaren, um, yeah. which you can trace its lineage through the Senna, which is, I guess, the current side of that equation, uh, which previously was occupied by the P1. Yeah, it started off, didn't we? We had P1, yeah. which was uh, sort of a just the one car in the Ultimate series, then P1 GTR which was obviously the track version. And then we had, uh, they've now split it into two. So we've got the Senna, which is the track focus version. And Speedtail, I think, is meant to be the more the road sort of GT. Yes, Hi Hyper GT. Hyper, Hyper GT. Hyper yeah. GT, I think, is the, the phrasing that they're using. Hyper is, I mean, it's all relatively arbitrary. I mean, we can argue day in, day out about where the idea of a hypercar started. Did it start with the F1 or did it start with the Veyron or is it really a thing? <laughs> Um, I like that McLaren actually categorize it. So they've got their sport series, the super series and the ultimate series, which although it doesn't really follow anyone else's nomenclature for those kind of tiers of cars, uh, it does kind of somewhat fit into the sports car, supercar, yeah. hypercar kind of level. So there isn't, uh, I guess this will be, if if you look at it from the point of view of what this is going up against, the Chiron probably makes a lot of sense. Um, but apart from that, it's going to be in pretty rarefied air in terms of oh, what, what it is. There aren't yeah. many cars that take those boxes. Um, first of all, uh, and there's a video obviously up on the channel that you can see of it, and that's why we can show you pictures from it right now. But for starters, the looks. Now, it's a bit different in certain respects and a bit familiar in other respects. What, what yeah. strikes you immediately about the design of the car? It's, it is striking. Um, yeah, that's that's worth saying. You're certainly going to look at it as it goes down the street. Uh, the very front of it, the bit of nose, is actually some sort of 570s in the way that sort of lower bit works. There's some uh, Porsche Mission E, I think, in the in the lights, very definitely. Um, the 
I mean, the, the speed tail bit, the tail end of it is sort of, it's, uh, I suppose. Okay, right. Enough. So you won't see that bit. <laughs> Probably, unless Charlie leaves it in there. Um, the tail, the speed tail, I suppose, is the most striking element because it's, well, it's this teardrop shape, isn't it? And it is very elongated. It's a long tail, really, isn't it? But they can it is. call, <laughs> it, call is. it that. It tapers, but not only in width. It feels it tapers in height as well because that rear edge, the way it's been designed, is incredibly thin and sharp. So it feels like it comes right down to a wedge at the rear. Which is something you can actually see in the other McLarens as well. So you, I noticed it particularly when you see it in 720S and then in Senna. Um, as well if you look at those two cars this is they're sort of almost truncated versions of, of this this is um they're almost sort of i suppose they're cam tail versions almost of, of this one which takes it to its its ultimate conclusion really it seems to have a lot of uh the, the look the design is very beautiful and structural where you're not seeing as much as the practical application of stuff as say senna being on the opposite end of the scale where everything you can see is there to do a purpose and even on something like the 600 LT where we're seeing this kind of evolution of the exhaust getting into more and more prominent places that it's a design feature for this practical outlet you look where the, the exhausts are on the um the speed tail they are you have to get down on the ground and look because they're way hidden like in the body like that yeah. stream tail uh, streamlined uh, look is 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 everything it doesn't look like it's going to handle I mean, we don't know yet, but it doesn't look like it's going to handle track work very well for anyone who wants to take it out there. I mean, it's one of those things is you, you, you want the two cars to look very different, and they really do. You, you look at the Senna, what's that going to be about? It's going to be about aerodynamic grip, basically. Yeah. You look at the Speedtail, what's that going to be about? Top speed, presumably, because it looks slippery as anything, doesn't it? And weirdly, they've separated it here, but you look at a car like the Chiron, where it tries to build in those elements at the same time, where it, you know, through dynamic arrow it it can deploy a very slippery fast shape in a straight line but also in theory handle itself out on a track as well so is do you think it's 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 less comprehensive as an offering for that price you're getting something that that can't handle track work whereas with something in the chiron which is you know probably more expensive well definitely more expensive yeah. but same kind of idea where that's more flexible in a way as a as a car whereas to get the same out from the mclaren yeah you need one of you each need, yeah absolutely no i i get that but equally um th there's also the element of you look at sheeran you could go well there's compromise in there because it's sort of we've now got the devo for track work yeah and so could they in That's fact point. you know are they going to produce a version of the sheeran that will actually you know we're still waiting to find out actually what its top speed could be so perhaps they'll produce a, a version of that and then we're back in the sort of the mclaren doesn't look quite so mm. sort of compromise i suppose well you're in a very uh, fortunate position where you've actually driven this car's lineage and it's uh, yes uh, literally <laughs> well literally you're in the studio a highly privileged position but um you've driven the f1 the p1 and yeah. the senna yes um now 
the three-seated position is that's worth mentioning this is a three-seater yes. hyper gt car like the f1 was what how do you think it's going to overall compare in experience what if you were driving i mean they're separated by many decades and and, yes. and and a wealth of engineering development but do you think it's it's trying to recreate some of what that car was because that was very much a straight line speed but it car. wasn't it, it it really wasn't so it was never the top speed was purely a, a, a fortunate byproduct of, of what it that accidentally car became was. the fastest yeah, car basically wow. yeah absolutely they never set out to um to do that and you know hence it being actually not really the most stable at sort of um really high speeds as andy wallace uh, <laughs> will recount um but it was just that was the way of things at the time it obviously had a certain amount of um active error on it and it's a very slippery shape it wasn't the sort of the time for necessarily sort of big wings and they they, they gordon and peter stevens they liked that pure gordon murray gordon murray yeah um liked that pure shape to it and obviously bmw famously built an engine that was even more powerful than um they had asked for so yeah you add the things together plus the the lightweight there you go that's that's it but it, it wasn't necessarily designed to have a um a top speed and Gordon Murray wanted the car to be sort of he wanted it to be a road car so hence having building in the luggage elements um, yeah. behind those panels and the, the fitted luggage and all that and um, the fact that it had suspension it didn't have you know really low profile tires it was he wanted it to be it wasn't slammed to the ground hence they had the LM version which was then the track version which was um, only built I think six of them um, in the end um but so yes i can see where the speed tail does carry on some of the the f1's lineage um yeah because the bespoke uh, luggage is is a feature that returns on yeah. this as is the you know the three seats and yeah absolutely it, it shares it, some proportions in terms of design as well it's not completely yeah. alien yeah absolutely um i mean the f1 was a very compact car and the speed tail doesn't look like a very compact 17 car, so. feet long which is uh, like longer than a Range Rover. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. a big car. Um, considering it has got no rear seats. Yes. Yeah. Um and obviously it hasn't got the the engine that the McLaren F1 had which is the sort of in many ways from a driving point of view that engine is the defining feature. Well, this is the interesting it. thing. The one thing they haven't actually gone into is the engine. All we know is that it's a hybrid drivetrain, so mm. think more P1 than Senna. Um, we know they do a hybrid drivetrain very well. Uh, the P1 demonstrated that. Um, how that differs in experience, we remain to see. It will be a while before we get the chance to drive it, but you better believe that as soon as we do, we'll let you know. Um, quickly touching on a couple of the other things. Uh, big news this week was the announcement from Top Gear that the new hosts are going to be uh, Paddy McGuinness and Freddie Flintoff, which if you're British, you undoubtedly know who those two are. If you're not, Freddie Flintoff is a ex-professional cricket player who's made a, uh, a new career as a celebrity TV host and various sports quizzes and the like. And Paddy McGuinness is a comedic actor and also quiz host and various other appearances, neither of whom previously were known for their knowledge or experience with cars. As far as we understand, Paddy McGuinness does own a couple of nice cars, but then so did Chris Evans. Um, <laughs> and look how that ended up. It's a bold choice, to put it mildly. Yes, it is. I, I don't think anybody saw that one 
Um, no, I don't think anyone did. It's it clearly shows that the show is going in the direction of and 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 you said this earlier. It's kind of weird for us to be talking about another car show, but it is yeah. big news this week. Um, Everyone's talking about it, so we it, might as well yeah. because otherwise it just looks like we're avoiding the subject. So it's um, it's pushing it in like. We've always known it's been going in an entertainment direction, but yeah. that for the for the Clarkson, Hammond and May era, that was kind of an incidental side effect of them not getting bored necessarily, but the, trying new things. Whereas now it seems to be the way they do it. The so the issue I have it, and this is purely speaking as a fan of Top Gear, somebody that comes, you know, has watched the program and well, had the very first issue of Top Gear magazine actually at home. Oh wow! Um, it was um, yeah, lots of cars on the car, uh, gatefold. In there. Um, anyway. It was the thing I have problem I have is the fact that the show was born out of people who were car journalists to start with. So Clarkson, May, Richard Hammond was in fact he was a press officer at Renault, I think, um, back in the day. And so he was done car content from Men and Motors as well, well. There we go. So they were car people to start with, and that's what I think the show has to remember. It is a car show first and foremost, and it has to grow out of that into something else. The trouble is that it's like they're trying to it. Obviously, what made the BBC all the money was when the programme extended into becoming entertainment yeah. and grew into that. So, of course, they're going to try and replicate that because that's how they make an awful lot of money. But it feels slightly odd that they're trying to jump straight in there with that and they've forgotten that the cars still have to be the star of the show. That's fundamentally what the audience it, wants. You know, I, I think David Attenborough is brilliant, but I tune into Planet Earth for the wonderful shots of the nature and to learn something about the bottom of the ocean or whatever it is yeah do you know what i mean David, so I, a, I don't i don't purely tune yeah. into you know I, I i understand what you're saying that the but there is a large proportion of the viewing public who my mum for example who doesn't really care anything about cars watched the show because she enjoyed it with clarks and hammond and may she mm. then enjoyed the entertainment value of the, of the show after that it does bring in that wider audience but it does seem that the scales are tipped slightly um uh, chris harris obviously is still going to be part of the show who uh, as we all know is definitely a car person beyond uh, beyond doubt uh knows his stuff can actually drive brilliant we've got that to to anchor it as it were and I, I i believe that's probably what they'll do it's also worth noting that there is still a whole season that has been shot that hasn't gone yes, out hasn't yet. yet so yeah. this these new presenters we're not likely to see them on screen for almost a year yeah they haven't started rolling nothing's in the can yet so we remain to see we'll come back to it and i guess in a year and see how how it's developed who knows it might be brilliant and and let's we'll hope give, it is we'll yeah. give them the benefit of the I doubt because something you yeah. said yeah Paddy McGuinness has apparently got a 570S McLaren. I think he's got a 570S and a, a BMW 1M Coupe, which, which are, is, not, are not bad choices of cars by any stretch of the imagination. And the 1M Coupe is also a car that you only get if you really know about cars. Exactly, yeah. Very yeah. Limited. It's not just, oh, I want a supercar that looks flash. It's, uh, yeah. And yeah, we're all, everyone in this industry has always been a fan of Top Gear. I think actually I didn't watch Top Gear because I liked cars. I liked cars because I watched Top Gear. Mm. And it has been going since the 80s. So people our age have seen it grow up. And this will just be the next chapter and we'll see where it will go. Um, quickly, there was the Paris Motor Show. Uh, it was a smaller motor show than than we're maybe used to it being. Not all manufacturers were represented there, but the French came out in force. They did, uh, as you would expect. Um, I think the highlight for a lot of people was Peugeot's concept car that they unveiled. Yes, uh, retro concept car, sort of future-looking retro concept. Yeah, kind of based. <laughs> was it based on the old 504? Yeah. 
Um, you had a, a closer look at that in person. What did you make of it as a, 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 a something that, that apparently, so uh, just I was doing a shoot with Peugeot last week. Apparently, they're getting a, um, a petition together, and if they get like 150,000 signatures, they'll actually make it. Then I need to sign it because I I, I, I I think it's it's brilliant. It it makes uh, the, the future sort of cars, um, hybrids, electric cars, EVs, whatever, just seem more real and yeah. just beautiful as well. Sort of it, if they're rooted in something we actually recognise um, as already being rather lovely, then yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm all for the fact that obviously having batteries um, means that you can jig stuff around. You know the you don't have to have cooling in certain places or you know, yeah. kind of the flat floor inside, which you had in this Peugeot concept. So you look inside, and there's no transmission tunnel, it's just, which is a kind of weird thing in itself and quite quite cool. I get that it gives you stylistic freedom, but that doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, designers haven't penned beautiful cars in the past that we shouldn't, you know, yeah. should just stray away from completely to try and just be new because this is an electric car so it's got to look different why well it changes fewer things in one go we still get yeah. that three box shape something we're familiar with something we recognize and we can jump on board sooner and what i think is interesting is that um a lot of the evs that we're seeing so uh, look at the Audi e-tron um i was expecting perhaps something with that that was going to be futuristic and sort of you know really wildly mm. sort of bit edgy nope fits right in with the audi yeah. design language yeah i mean you you know, think it just looks like a Q5 or something, isn't it? Mm. Sort of, um, you're not really going to look twice on the street unless you actually know know what it is. So yeah, um, yeah. Perhaps they've, I don't know. Perhaps the manufacturers are doing surveys and saying, you know, do you want these cars to stand out or do you just want an electric car? Like something Golf GTE doesn't look. I think we like one little touch here and there. Yeah, like some bright yellow calipers, like <laughs> acid green calipers, and then that's enough. That just like reminds you that it's something new. But apart yeah. from that. People like cars to look like cars, who knew? Mm. But we've got a lot of content from the Paris Motor Show, not only uh, on Car Fiction, but also on our sister site, uh, theroadshow.com, with uh, a lot of in-depth analysis of the stuff that came out there. I highly recommend you check that out. Um, but that kind of leads me into uh, what we've been up to for the last couple of weeks. The Paris Motor Show was just one, uh, one element of uh, the whirlwind of content that we've been up to in the last couple of weeks. Uh, and the well, the, one of the most late, the latest films that came out is something that we got to drive that not many other people have had their hands on, which is the fourth generation of the Aerial Atom. Yes, um, which looked like an absolute hoot. It was <laughs> an absolute hoot. It was. Um, I, I love those sorts of cars. I always have done, um, you know, Caterhams and that sort of thing as well. And it was just. I haven't driven one for ages. It felt like, and. Got well, since it. we did the film on the 3.5R, another film that you can find on the channel. Exactly, and that was... Is it banging? Okay. Um, and I hadn't driven one on the road for ages, and I didn't bother wearing a crash helmet all day long, which is probably... a a bit silly in some There's respects but it's my about that, but it's yeah. but it's my choice at the end of the day and, and it is legal to drive it absolutely legal uh, to do it it's just it's just my own stupidity if i get you know hit in the face by a stone or something but um but equally the i love the freedom you know something you can't do in this country certainly on a on a motorbike and the freedom of you know winning your hair and you do just feel that much closer to the car without ensconcing your uh, noggin in a helmet so it's it was just nice to do it that way and the car is properly exciting that the, the I was unsure how the turbocharged engine would really fit with that car. Would it sort of have memories of um, Westfields with 
turbocharged engines in, which didn't just didn't really seem to work. But was that this because is, it was an, an, more of an unrefined turbocharged, whereas modern turbocharged almost, engines are a bit more balanced in how they deliver power? Yes and no. Um, so this is obviously is smooth and you can drive it around off boost very easy as, as I did pretty much the whole way up to uh, where we shot the film and to the point where it was actually really shocking when I did finally put my foot down um, and you've got these three stages of, of boost that you can go for turn it all the way up to three 320 brake horsepower 310 pounds foot and when it comes in my word it just I mean if you're in the first three gears certainly on cold tires you will probably light them up and it's there's a, a sufficient step change um, it's not like Ferrari F40 whereby there's nothing below 4,000 RPM seemingly in an F40 yeah. because there's plenty below 4,000 RPM in, in this atom but when the boost kicks in it's that same sort of just everything goes into fast forward and it's um, nuts it's brilliant and I love that and I love the fact you've got this snorkel next to you and I'm not sure if you can hear in the film just how loud it was but if you don't you can definitely hear it I, yeah yeah it's it's such a distinct sound that kind of turbo noise exactly and in the same way that sort of uh i mean the 245 uh, the naturally aspirated four-cylinder um one before was a uh, quite a gravelly sort of sound it was a nice nice four-cylinder sound no doubt about it that was a naturally aspirated car supercharger is what everyone remembers that whine that shriek yeah not a nice sound just distinctive and that's the same i think with the turbocharger you know it's not necessarily uh, a musical sound but it's so distinctive of turbocharging if you like that i i, I like it better I, than the the supercharger sound which does sound like a distressed gerbil sound <laughs> <in the> engine. <laughs> exactly yeah. um i don't know how you know what a distressed <laughs> gerbil sounds like but it's um the turbocharging again these three stages in one 220 brake horsepower you, you you hear it but it's not turn it all the way up three and it just gets louder and louder these chuffs and whistles because you're increasing the boost obviously and it's almost painful at times if you sort of um because it's right there next to your head but my word it was just so much fun and so fast i mean any supercar you really care to name I mean, it does not 62 miles an hour in 2.8 seconds so yeah. that's as fast as kind of you're going to want to go to be honest particularly when you add in all the visceral elements of having your face in the breeze and um, being that close to the ground and yeah. exposed to the elements and the fact you have to snatch gear because it's a manual gearbox so it's hey can you tell i like it yeah i think i think it's fair to say that henry <laughs> likes it. and what is what is incredibly <laughs> obvious in the film is how much henry likes it henry, i did actually spend time in the days afterwards this is how much it got on my skin because 40 grand i was like okay I can't afford that, but it's tempting. You know, you get out of I get out of an Bang eight buck, an eight twelve Ferrari, yeah. and I there's no way I could afford it. So I don't spend time daydreaming about how I might one day be able to mm. that oh, because you almost think if you just want that hit, you could take out on a Sunday morning. That's it. And then for forty thousand pounds, it seems like you could cripple yourself financially, and it would cost you a lot. But you know. In theory, it could maybe be possible to squeeze it in. It would cost you a lot of money. Good, res good residuals on them, because yeah. I obviously went and had a look at what the <laughs> previous ones were. And all it will well. cost you is some money and one marriage. Exactly. That's yes. all. Yeah, um, there we are. You <laughs> will see from the size of the smile on Henry's face just how much he enjoyed that film, uh, which was a tremendous amount. But that's not the only awesome car you've been driving. Um, the GT2 RS. Mm. Uh, we finally got the film out uh, on that. Uh, we've had some great films on the uh, GT3, 
mm -hmm. uh, over the summer, which is some of the best that we've done in a while. And this was kind of a return to the extreme end of Porsches where you had the absolute apex of what the Carrera road cars, well, 911 road cars can be. Um, but you had a 911 Carrera out at the same time, didn't you? We did, yes. Yeah. Well, I, hadn't, I didn't even ask me about that. Yes. yes. <laughs> well, because if you want to know about the car, the, the film goes into a lot of detail. But um, for a future film, we, we had the 911 out there. So you got to drive the two in relatively mm. quick succession. Um, and so uh, what is it like seeing the full range of what a 911 can be kind of laid out in its extremes from one end to the other in such quick succession? Uh, it's, it is very strange to think that this, this one car has such a sort of uh, a breadth, I suppose, um, of, of application. Um, and the car we had was in silver, the, the standard 911. So it looks you know, very demure next to, uh, the sort of the Miami blue and cub, you know, bare naked carbon of the, uh, two RS, but the nice thing is that you do still get so much obviously of the gt2 rs in the the standard carrera i'm not going to say it's you know the same sort of hit because obviously it's not but you get a manual gearbox and that mm. obviously and it's um you it's not they're not totally different animals you can obviously see the connection between the two cars i mean you've got turbocharging in the yeah um the base model now as well so that's a an, an added connection um which would i have if i off the keys of both obviously i'd have the gc2 rs yeah it, the, the, but even the the amount it costs kind of suggests that that would be the one to go for yeah it. yeah absolutely um the thing that surprised me i think was i did wonder how the uh 2rs would actually cope with those roads um compared to because the standard it, car obviously copes very well but actually the body control that you've got in the 2RS, although it's very stiff, and you can see that in the film, and people obviously commented on it because over the bumps, um, but somehow it, and it's something about 911s as well, they've got such good body control, the size of them, uh, the fact they do keep the weight down and they manage that weight so well, means that even though, yes, it's you know the, ultimately the travel is gonna be limiting, you can attack bumps, and even if it picks up wheels, the car feels as though it's moving all of a piece and it's around you, you have control of it. So fine, it might not be tracking the absolute sort of perfect smooth way down the road in terms of ride quality, but you can still hang on to it. And that's what makes it so impressive, I think. And mm. those magnesium wheels obviously help as well in terms of the unsprung weight. So, yeah. I um, I, I looked it up for an, uh, an article that I was writing. The, um, the difference in performance between a base Carrera and the GT2 RS is the same distance as between a BMW M140i and a Ferrari Ferrari 488, <laughs> and that is all 911. Yeah, one one mark, one not just one mark, one type of car to have yeah. it all encompassed in. Uh, you shot that up in up north somewhere. Yes, absolutely. Where I don't that? really want to reveal where it is because I'm, I'm bored of people sitting. It's vaguely <laughs> no, really. up north, but the, um, but you you touched on the, on the roads. The the it's not somewhere that you would expect to take GT2 RS, which is very much built for, as you allude to in the film, for for the track. It isn't, isn't, because it's still a, it's got number plates on it, and people yeah. want to drive these things. I'd be interested to know the percentage of people that actually track these cars and obviously you want to be able to drive to the track and you know track days are expensive things but we'll have one sort of in our back garden um i certainly don't no and so therefore nice. it's a car that has to work on the road and and i it's the excitement of a road car 
you know, I, I like the idea of a road racer. The exciting bit for me, in a way, is that not that you've made a road car work on the track, it's the fact you've almost made a track car work on the road. Yeah. That's the almost the way around to think about it. So that's why, and as I said in the film, you know, it's, it's done the lap times everywhere. We know it's great on a track. It's, um, let's put it to a proper proper test. And that's exactly what Henry did. Uh, again, the uh, the video... Oh. One other thing about it, yeah. which we had to cut out of the film because we couldn't really actually capture the sound, but I mentioned all the little sounds that you can hear in the car because it's got less sound in yeah. Um One thing you can hear, so the rear wheel steer, yeah. little motors in the rear axle. To... I've never heard those before. No. Because, but in the GTRS, you can hear... While you're driving. You, you can hear this little whine, sort of, particularly if you're manoeuvring or at low speeds and that sort of thing. You'll just, you'll just go, why is that? And then you realize it's the. It's you, just quite cool. You touched on the electric parking brake, yeah. but you only engage that when you're standing still. Yeah. But being able to hear those motors, so there's. Yeah. It's loud enough that you can hear it while you're driving. Yeah. And Obviously, so, only at low speed because otherwise the car's, you know, phenomenal. Everything else takes over, but you can't hear it, which is quite cool. I think that's cool anyway. There you go. We'll call that the DVD extra. Uh, <laughs> there, you found that little extra tidbit of information that people who just watched the film didn't know. If you haven't already seen the film, we'll put the uh, link in the description below. It is one of the best films that we've done uh, all year and very much worth watching. Oh, thank you. Um, I also drove something uh, very much on the opposite end of the scale from the GT2 RS. I went out to America to have a go in the Rolls-Royce Cullinan, um, which is Rolls-Royce's SUV. Uh, it was... A fairly rushed shoot, but there's a first impression uh, in the video. Um, I was very. Where were you? Wisconsin or something? No, Wyoming. Wyoming. Yeah. Maybe began with W. Yes. Um, <laughs> uh, both Wisconsin and Wyoming, I could not find on a map. I did have to look it up. It was not where I thought it was. Oh, it was okay. considerably further north. Mm. Uh, I got quite lucky. I heard from people who were on the rotation. Uh, Sorry, you got lucky. Just, uh, yeah, I got lucky with the weather. Right. Uh, because, well, I say it actually rained a lot, but I had one morning where it was sunny enough that I could get quite a lot done. Uh, whereas the rotation after me, it snowed and <laughs> they really struggled to, uh, to get a lot filmed with the car. Um, for me, what was interesting was comparing it to the Phantom because this is the car that's the second car built on the platform that the Phantom is built on, their mm -hmm. architecture of luxury or whatever they call it. Um, but it's not, a, it's not a chassis platform in the way that we kind of understand that idea of cars being built on the same platform it's still quite modular so it's able to adapt itself quite well so yes careful is the bmw x8 based on um that no it is the the they say it's not they say that the this is bespoke to rolls royce uh in fact that the bmw platform sharing i think the only platform share they do is on the ghost Okay, um, fine, carry on. Sorry, just, just, just thought I'd ask. I'd... Yeah, um, but they can be a bit cagey about what they what mm. they should because you can see it's not exactly parts bin, but there are obviously bits of BMW in like the infotainment system and stuff like that. Uh, crucially, this is uh, an, SU an SUV through and through, and what it has done is it's made the off-road driving hidden behind one button. So instead of having a multitude of settings, it's just one button that says off-road. Frankly... I'm amazed that I have to press a button that it doesn't figure out that you're off-road. Uh, and it just takes care of it. It is quite competent. We, we like, <laughs> so, I didn't actually take it like bouldering or rock climbing or anything like that. It's not going to tackle King of Hammers. But uh, in terms of what we throw at modern SUVs, 
I threw some tricky stuff at it and it was absolutely fine. So it can handle the muddy stuff quite well and quite effortlessly, which is good. But for me, it had to work as a road car as well because it's still a Rolls Royce. And it is a bit, a bit like the GT2RS in terms of, yeah. you know, as much as GT2RS obviously has to work on track and that's what people think of. And, you know, but it's a road car, the same yeah. with Cullinan. If you want to take Cullinan green laning, absolutely fine. You want to take it through two feet of water, absolutely fine. Um, I like the idea of a Rolls Royce and no. it wanted to go green laning. It's probably more pheasant shooting, isn't well, it? Well, the but one I had, had had a white leather interior and, and, and like very nice upholstery. I, mean, I don't want to be getting in and out of here if I'm super muddy. But mm. um, what's interesting is that how much more driver focused it is. So there's more feedback through the steering, more feedback through the, through the brakes. The throttle uh, feels different, more responsive. It's all round more of a driver's car considering that the phantom 8 felt more of a driver's car than the phantom 7 you can see the direction that they're going in with that um there's I'm a lot sorry i was just thinking about the aerial atom again sorry there you, you go. said driver's car I was... it is driver's car but in a very different way one that's incredibly <laughs> warm and comfortable um and i'm very eager to get it back into actually do a full moment so that's that's the aim can I have for a go? next couple of weeks yes absolutely thank you um we'll all have a go and see what we think <laughs> um we've also just really quickly want to touch on a couple of films that you did with a company called ach we, yes. we talked about them in a previous episode mm -hmm. of footlock because uh, you were there to do another film and yep. we had a quick look you showed a picture of the car we now actually have a film on that resto modded defender yep um, up on the channel right now, as well as a slightly unusual vehicle. Yes, a fire engine, a six by six Defender fire engine. So yeah, go and have a look. It's brilliant. It's it's just you know every five year old's kind of dream car, isn't it? Um, but uh, a couple of things. So I we mentioned the film that has obviously the played with the sirens. Yeah, and you have Yelp Well and Two Tone, and we didn't know what the different ones were were used for. Yeah. Now, a friend of mine, a chap called Richard Tipper, um, he's Perfection Valet on uh, Instagram and, and Twitter. Um, go and follow him because he does lots of cool stuff, gets to detail lots of cool cars, but also um, sent me exactly why the um, ones are. So here we go. Um, Yelp, when you approach a hazard. That's not an instruction, it's just Yelp is for when you approach it. Okay. Um, whale is in normal use. And then two-tone, which somebody else pointed out, is when you're following another appliance. So standard it would be whale but if you've got another one behind because you want traffic to realize that there are two vehicles oh, so they don't sort of they distinct. don't you know try and climb in so then you've oh. got you've got two different sounds going on go. um so yeah that was the that was that there you go another little bit of extra information and extra. Uh, the cars are very very interesting if you're in particular interested in defenders and who doesn't love a defender they're well worth checking out um now there is a shoot that we went on recently there's nothing up on the channel just yet but it will be coming very very soon make sure you hit the uh, notify bell icon so you don't miss a thing uh we went up to scotland for uh a few days you were up there a little bit longer than me um to do a film not only uh for you to do a stand how did you get up to scotland Drew? i flew <laughs> <laughs> yeah we'd run out, run out of cars and i needed to get there a couple of days later i flew and i flew back when you're the boss you travel in style on EasyJet. um yeah you had a much more comfortable uh, trip up there you drove up in a bentley continental gt which did, is one of my yes. favorite cars um and you did a standalone film on that 
which we'll be looking forward to seeing soon. But one of the main reasons we went up there was for another film where not only the Bentley Continental GT, which is one of my favorite cars, arguably one of my other favorite cars is the BIC Mono. And we had one of each up uh, near the North Coast 500. We're on some of it. Um, taking those, uh, well, head to head isn't really the, the right term because they are very different cars, but they cost similar amounts of money. So it was about exploring what that environment what that does in how a road changes between yeah. two different cars isn't it yeah two crazy, different yeah. two different cars but you know also two different drivers to a certain extent but what what they have in common and what they what what difference they had but i think what was worth mentioning um from a behind the scenes point of view is that the weather was kind of against us kind uh, of <laughs> it was somewhat against us <laughs> and also it's worth noting that for this feature i was driving the bentley and Henry was in the roofless. So can we have this? Drew flew up there and got into a Bentley. <laughs> I drove up there and then got it. So yes, yeah, it's a tough life. You can hear all those small violins. It's hard at the top. <laughs> um, uh, so you got to endure one of the tougher environments to enjoy a BAC mono in. Mm. But despite that, did you enjoy yourself? <laughs> yeah, because I like that sort of car. And yeah, it's. Uh, it's yeah, it was the first time I'd spent any uh, great length of time in the mono. I've I've watched it since it was launched and with interest. Um, the one of the interesting things uh, that we touch on in the film is, in fact, that you look at the two cars and the the quality in both is something that shines through. Mm. So, for the amount of money you might look at it and think, well, you're getting an awful lot more car for your you know 150,000 pounds ish. Um, you're getting about a thousand your... kilos more of car. Exactly, yeah. But you look at the engineering in in both of them, and both are equally impressive to that extent. And the quality really is does shine mm. through. Um, the mono is so fast. I mean, it's uh, talking about sort of central driving positions. Obviously, it puts you instantly in mind of um, the F1 when you get in it. And is that slight? It just takes you a moment or two to get used to driving in the middle of your lane. We were following you, watching you adjust to it. Yeah, because you you tend to dr- and it, it drift does over just to take the, a sort of to the middle line a little yeah. bit because you just and it's it's really weird because obviously I'm used to driving left hand drive cars and right hand drive cars and I can generally jump from one to the other and it doesn't really phase yeah. me. I'm I can switch it on and adapt, but suddenly to be in the centre, it's um yeah. Old, yeah, you naturally put yourself one side or the other, which yeah. is with oncoming traffic. Because it's not a, a massively uh, wide car, but it's not slim either. You, you, it, it takes up a bit of space. Yeah. I would say that there was one of the most thrilling driving experiences I've ever had. On uh, Coming towards the end of our shoot, we were doing two car shots, driving uh, quite close together in a spirited manner, uh, officer. Um, but right on your tail and just watching, knowing that your brakes have, were having to stop a much lighter car. <laughs> um, and so having to look ahead, but just seeing that car that close, winding through these through the Scottish hills. Equally from, for me, knowing that my brakes <laughs> only had to stop a much lighter car and looking in my mirrors and watching a Bentley right up behind me and then not really, let's say, applying all the brakes because I knew that I didn't yeah. want to. <laughs> well, it was that kind of telepathy that kept us both safe. But, well, I say both of us safe. I was in a two-ton <laughs> tank of a car 
and I would have probably just driven straight over the mono. And, you know, luckily, uh, everything was absolutely fine because we are seasoned professionals and we know what we're doing. Um, but it was it was just really nice to have the experience. And we, we got to jump into it. Obviously, you'd already driven the car up there, the Bentley up there for the standalone feature. Um, and I jumped in. I... I drove the car back from location. You still had some pickup sh yeah. shots to get on the Bentley in the evening. And at sundown, I drove the BAC back from our location. Once it stopped raining, I noticed. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it, it had mostly stopped raining, <laughs> but it got dark, yeah. which was another obstacle. And I'd never driven it uh, in the dark. You're not really meant to drive these cars in the dark. And, and I had a, the, our long-termer, which we'll touch oh, on. Which legal in a too, Oh, of course, <laughs> completely. Um, was driving in front of us. But um, I'd, I had a two-hour drive through the Scottish Highlands with the sun going down and I'm seeing it getting darker and darker and like the mountains are getting silhouetted by the light and the you know, the car which was the, the the guys in the disco they disappeared off into the distance and as those lights got further away it was just me and the road and the the headlights and, and several thousand deer yeah a lot of deer <laughs> a lot apparently you told me that you could see the deer in your mm. heads up display the uh, yeah. night vision which the bentley has my car did not have night vision yeah. i i my, you just my, have to look for the two pinpricks was, of yellow that's yeah that's what you always but i mean it wasn't the most high speed drive i've ever had or certainly not even in a in a mono but it was such an experience driving that thing at night. It was so thrilling. I mean, you have to be so focused on what you're doing. Immersive, I think, is the... Um, oh, completely. And I mean, I didn't have my helmet off. because mm. uh, I would have been silly to do that at night in the dark. It was too cold as yeah. well, frankly. Yeah, yeah. But even then, I, you know, the, the, the visor cracked open. And it's sitting low enough, you can get the air off your face just through the small, like, one-inch windscreen it has. And... It's not in the film because it was just pra the practicality of me driving the car back to the hotel. But it was um, it was such a such an engaging, thrilling, exciting drive. You're so focused, so intense. It, it's it's one of those experiences that is is hard to to describe and bring across. But is one of the things that makes this job as fun as it is getting <laughs> to do that. Um, we we got some great photos from it which are up on our Instagram page we had a great photographer with us who got some amazing snaps which we'll be able to uh, share with you on there as well he's at Battery HQ at Battery HQ for reasons we still don't know yeah his name's Andy he's very good um, now we are already running over with the episode so I very quickly want to jump in on to the motorsport news we missed quite a few races while we've been away with Footlock, so I don't want to go into everything that's happened. We've seen team orders stretch to their maximum frustration on behalf of Valtteri Bottas. We've seen Lewis come very close to winning the championship, but not quite. Uh, but what I wanted to, to just bring up slightly is something interesting for new, next year. The 2019 regulations have been revealed, which are changing the arrow specifically on, well, most importantly, perhaps on the front wing, which is going to make it easier for cars to follow. It's going to create less dirty air behind cars. So maybe next year we'll actually see some closer following action which would be good yeah it's it just seems that now you can create that dirty air and, and the car in front has has uh, an uh, an advantage which offsets anything that you would get from um drs yeah so now maybe we're going to see more changing at the front and maybe who knows we might have the the exciting first half of the season might extend all the way through who knows can we just have a moment for how good the circuit of the americas is i've never driven there but is 
brilliant because you've got that sort of section that looks a bit like Silverstone, the Maggots Beckett's Complex, which is phenomenal watching the cars, even on television, yeah, like how flat. fast they look so going fast. through there. Um, big long straight with a you know uphill braking zone, so it's you like brake really late. Meter, uh, incline, yeah. It's extraordinary. And then that section at the back where we saw the battle between Lewis and Max, um, which again right seems to offer, of race, yeah, but it seems to offer all sorts of different possible lines through there, which mm. is the sort of is such a key. So it shows you can build a modern track where you can have exciting racing, and it looks spectacular. So yeah, that's just just. Um, I mean, Lewis is going to win the championship. Vettel made too many mistakes. That's what you need to know. It's, isn't it, really? Yeah, it's it's it, and yeah and something absolutely crazy would have to happen. And Max Verstappen needs a decent engine. So yeah, that's things to change for next year. Um, and Kimi won, yay! Kimi won a race first time since Hurrah! 2013. About. How- Time. <laughs> About time indeed. Well done, Kimmy. Um, we love Kimmy. And in his last season as well, which yeah. is which is Well, last season good. with Ferrari, he's going to... Yeah, well, that, yeah. W- whether he wins another race there might be... Yeah, yeah. anyway. Okay. British, um, British Rally Championship. World Rally Championship. World Rally Championship. Oh, yes. Yeah. That's exciting. Still three people in it. Yeah. Spain this weekend, which will be going on. I shall probably, whilst this is going out, um, obviously I'll watch this first again just to, because I like watching myself on camera. But after that, I'll be tuning into the all live bit because it's just brilliant watching him. Because we've got Loeb back in Spain as well. And we've got Pez Solberg, a new VW R5 car, R5 Golf. Um, so that's going to be good as well. We've got two Solberg and Loeb back in WRC. Well, WRC too, but yeah. You get to talk about Loeb some more. Yeah. Love a bit of Loeb. Sounds really dirty when I say it like that. Um, I got a, a, an opportunity to not so much a WRC car, but to drive a, uh, a a a racing car, which I want to talk about in the next episode. Uh, so remind me in the next footlock that I want to oh, talk okay. about yes, that, yeah. that that Peugeot car. Um, maybe just think of that. Sorry. Um, <laughs> But we're running low on time. I just wanted to touch on our trusty defender. Mm. Sorry, uh, defender. I just wanted to touch on our trusty disco. Yes, disco yes, sport, the, the, the Land Rover. Disco sports. Uh, which I've I've been off of doing all sorts of things, and I've done a lot of miles in that car um, recently. Um, actually, links back into the rallying because I chased around um, Wales Rally GB for uh, four days and took it off into forests um, and um, actually met up with Colin McMaster in the middle of a forest. It's funny, the people you meet, um, who is taking photos. And it was great it was brilliant it was an office and i slept in it early in the morning once i got up to sweet lamb and you know early to make sure i was there and it was so nice just being able knowing that i could disappear into a forest and it wasn't very extreme lots of other cars would get up there but i'm not sure of them would get out with all of their bumpers intact yeah and it was nice just knowing that the discovery sport would do it all um and that was um so yeah that was that was good and then i spent seven days away in it um doing stuff some um pedally cycling stuff uh down in the pyrenees um again we so don't know taking either. it up to the top of mountains and, and again being able to drive off sort of down tracks and sort of get to good photography locations and stuff uh so look at the roads so yeah it's it's an amazingly good car over long distances which is something i, I wouldn't have necessarily expected but it is just um seems to soak up the miles and mm. you don't feel you don't feel as tired as i think you should do um it's um yeah i haven't had a chance to drive it in a couple of well almost a month now so i'm looking forward to getting back some in the car park now it. you can take it again it's a bit dirty um, sorry we have a couple of films that we've shot with the car with henry to to round off our uh, long-term loan which will be coming to its natural end 
uh, in the very near future. Uh, I'm very grateful we've been for having it. It's been a, a great vehicle, but there is some more content on it coming. And if you have any questions about what it's been like to live with the Discovery Sport, then let us know because by now we've put in some serious mileage and uh, can you know talk about it no end. So let us know in the comments below if you have any questions about it or anything you want us to do with it in the time that we have left with it. That brings us to the end of another episode of Footlook. Thank you very Aww. much for watching. I know, I know. Already? Already. Just getting going. Um, remember that the version you're watching on YouTube is a shortened, cut-down version. If you'd like to hear the whole uncut version, you need to go to iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and look for the Carfection colon for the Love of Cars podcast where you'll have an unedited version except for that bit where Charlie came in and adjusted the mic. We'll probably cut that bit out there as well. Um, but uh, subscribe there. Not only do you have the extended version of the footlock that you're watching on YouTube, you also have uh, extra bits in between the weeks that we don't have the uh, video show on that are just extra tidbits for you on the podcast. And if you are listening to this on the podcast, Thank you very much for listening. Uh, it's worth reminding you, if you're watching this right now, you are one of our biggest fans and we really, really appreciate your love and support. Remember to hit the bell icon to make sure that you don't miss a thing and follow at Henry Catchpole, at Drew Stern on all of the social networks as well as at Carfiction on Twitter, at Carfiction Films on Instagram and find us on Facebook. But all that's left to say for now is thank you and goodbye. Thank you very much. Thank you.